You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. I didn't really grow up in a particularly Jewishly observant household. Uh, Judaism was a part of my family's life growing up, but it wasn't, I would say, the dominant feature of my family's life growing up. Judaism as a conscious choice for uh, how I was going to live my life uh, as a committed Jew really came it, it, when I was in high school. Um, that's really when I started to, uh, to, to go deeper into Judaism. Uh, before that, I was just, you know, a, a, a regular American kid. Um, and I would say that more than Judaism was a feature of my household, Star Wars was a feature of my household. My parents, uh, uh, you know, grew up in uh, an era in which, you know, uh, the original Star Wars movies came out when they were in, you know, probably high school or college. Uh, and so they both, uh, each in their own way, my mom is a little bit more uh, science fiction-y than my dad, uh, but each in their own way, uh, were, were Star Wars fans and brought those movies into our house from a, a really young age. I was born in 1983, which is the year that the last of the original trilogy, uh, Return of the Jedi, was released. Um, and uh, I, I, that may have been the first one that I actually saw because it's actually of the original trilogy, probably the most kid-friendly with the Ewoks and everything. Um, but it was a major feature of my life uh, growing up. And so I grew up as a Star Wars fan uh, and probably had that as a major part of my consciousness a lot more than, uh, than my affinity um, or, or, or uh, depth of, uh, of Jewish knowledge, Jewish study. Um, but one of the things that like turned for me um, in Star Wars language, like maybe that turned me to the dark side or, or, or however you want to define it, was I went to Camp Ramah, New England, um, and I uh, every year you could pick like one uh, chug, uh, one like special uh, specialty activity. And one year, and I don't remember exactly how old I was when this happened. I may have been like eleven or twelve years old. Uh, I took a class on uh, science fiction and Judaism, and uh, in this class now I don't even remember who taught it, uh, which. Uh, I, I feel ashamed of that. I can't give uh, credit to the to the person who actually introduced me to, to this, but it really kind of opened my eyes not only to the um, to uh, the the Jewish influences that were in movies like Star Wars, but also the way in which. Judaism could deepen my understanding of those movies and the way in which my love of those movies could connect to my Judaism in a way that deepened my understanding of the world and, and, and of life, right? That, that could be a prism through which uh, or a channel through which um, I could uh, really see the, uh, the way that Judaism invites us to, to view the whole world. Uh, that was one of the moments that kind of like turned me on to thinking about Judaism in a different way and, um, and inspired uh, uh, more of a love for Judaism for me. Uh, as, I, um, as I became more interested in Judaism, my interest always aligned with um, uh, trying to uh, use Judaism as a prism through which to view the world in my life, which meant that 
um, because I'm like kind of a pop culture kind of guy, I would always kind of uh, analyze or think about the um, the media that I was experiencing through a Jewish lens. And if I were to just invite you to anything at all today, is this is to uh, is to help make Judaism a, a a prism through which you can view your world and view your life and deepen and enrich your understanding of everything that you experience and everything that you encounter. Um, and so, Star Wars is just you know, a, uh, uh, a, a test case for that, but it could theoretically be anything, okay? could plausibly be anything. It happens to be that Star Wars is very rich in this stuff, um, and, uh, and I love it. So, and, and the, we have the new movie coming out, and so it's a good opportunity, all right? So there's a, a few different areas in which um, I think that um, Judaism can deepen our understanding of Star Wars and that Star Wars can enrich our understanding of Judaism and, and of the world. And the first, there are lots of different themes in Star Wars. I'm going to just uh, highlight a few. But the first is the uh, issue of faith. Right? Faith, of course, is a huge part of Judaism, a huge part of any religion. Right? The, the idea that you, um, that, that you live your life and that you uh, give yourself over to uh, phenomena that can't be uh, seen or fully or, or sensed or fully understood um, but ra- or, or even proven, but rather things that you... Uh, that, that you uh, acknowledge and accept and act on based solely on faith. And faith isn't about certainty. Faith is about, um, is about action. Right? Abraham Joshua Heschel says that more than taking a leap of action, um, uh, or a leap of rather, more than taking a leap of faith, one takes a leap of action. Right? Now, that's, that's what a leap of faith is, is a leap of action. You don't necessarily know uh, how it's going to turn out, but you act as if you, uh, you have a, a sense that this is the direction you ought to go. That's, I think, the dimension of faith in Judaism. It's important in this uh, season of Hanukkah, um, because it's all about, uh, in a lot of ways, uh, that, uh, that, that faith-inspiring action, right? The Maccabees were this small uh, force. They were this rebel alliance against the evil galactic empire, right? And uh, they, didn't, they, they had no reason to believe that their small rebellion could have succeeded, and it did, right? That's an act of faith. Um, they had no reason to believe uh, that there was utility in uh, using the small jug of oil that they found uh, to light the menorah, which they needed to last for eight days to rededicate the temple. They had no reason to believe it would. They went for it anyway, and it lasted for eight days. So faith is a, is a huge part of the, of the Hanukkah story. And you can see even there the parallels to, to the Star Wars saga. Um, and it's why on Hanukkah, the Haftorah, on uh, Shabbat Hanukkah, we take from Zechariah, from Zechariah, it's the first text here, um, and uh, we read this, and it's become kind of like one of the theme songs of Hanukkah. He said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. In Hebrew, lo v'chayel v'lo v'koach ki'im beruchi. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, but by my breath. Right, that um, that the way we act in the world, the way we succeed in the world, um, is not through uh, 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 sheer force of will. It's not through sheer force of strength, um, uh, brute power, uh, but rather through alignment with uh, with holy purposes, uh, through uh, through through aligning ourselves um, with uh, with with God's will and God's power in the world. So um, you see that at play in uh, in an early scene from this is what's known now as episode four, uh, A New Hope of Star Wars. This is um, the hero, Luke Skywalker, um, is uh, beginning to uh, receive Jedi training 
from uh, who will become his mentor, Obi-Wan Kenobi, who is a Jedi Master, Jedi Knight. Just as a side, um, the term, the word Jedi, um, I don't know if you know the etymology of it, uh, but uh, the Hebrew word for knowledge, anybody know? Yodea. Yodea, right? Yada. Right? Da'at is knowledge. Um, So in uh, um, uh, Greek transliteration of Hebrew, there's no ya sound. The the J takes place of ya, right? So that's how the name of God becomes Jehovah, right? So if the ya in yada becomes a ja, right? Jada, right? Jedi is a person of knowledge, right? In Judaism. How about Yoda? So we'll get to, I was going to get to Yoda a little bit later, but yes, but you're absolutely right, right? Yoda is exactly right, right? Yoda is, and that makes sense for his character. He's a person of wisdom and knowledge. He's a Yodea. He's a person who knows. Sorry. No, I'm glad you had a temper suit. I can feel the force flowing through him. You mean he controls your actions? Partially, but it also obeys your commands. Pokey <laughs> religions and ancient weapons are no match for a good blaster at your side. You don't believe in the force, do you? Kid, I've flown from one side of this galaxy to the other. I've seen a lot of strange stuff, but I've never seen anything to make me believe there's one all-powerful force controlling everything. There's no mystical energy field that controls my destiny. It's all a lot of simple tricks and nonsense. I suggest you try it again, Luke. This time, let go your conscious self and act on instinct. With the blast shield down, I can't even see. How am I supposed to fight? Your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. Stretch out with your feelings. There's no such thing as luck. (laughs) All right. So uh, there's a few things that I want to point out in that scene, okay? The first is the dynamic between faith and skepticism, faith and doubt, right? Han Solo uh, represents the skeptic, the cynic. Uh, And there's a dimension to which uh, he's not wrong. Right? Even about the Force. And I think that Obi-Wan Kenobi says this too. So Obi-Wan Kenobi says that, um, uh, that, that it controls you, but partially you're in control of it. And Han Solo says there's no mystical energy field that controls my destiny. Right? I think Obi-Wan Kenobi would agree with that. The Force doesn't control a person's destiny because a person can change the trajectory of destiny through utilizing the force, right? I think that that's the same thing uh, of, uh, of, uh, of Jewish faith. Jewish faith is not necessarily that God is in control of your destiny. That's actually more along the lines of Greek mythology, right? The gods are in control of your destiny. Human beings can't really do anything or build anything. Um, rather, uh, Judaism says, 
everything in God's hands except for the fear of heaven. In other words, we have uh, a tremendous power through free will to control our fate and control our destiny. There's a lot that's in God's hand, but not everything. We have the power of will to determine our fate, to determine our destiny. Rabbi Nachman Abratzlav says, uh, The essence of redemption depends on faith, for the essence of the exile is only because of a lack of faith. In other words... The exile, sense of spiritual exile that that uh, that we're in, following the destruction of the temple, or 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 even more metaphysically than that, because uh, there's a sense in Kabbalistic and in Hasidic uh, tradition uh, that the very nature of reality is a state of exile, a state of brokenness, um, and uh, and that's partially because of a of a of a shattering of God's reality, which can only be put back together. Through uh, through alignment with God's reality, through bringing uh, the reality of God into the world and uh, in, into consciousness. So the only way to repair the world, the only way to make the world a better place, is through faith, right? Through and faith here doesn't just mean what you believe, but how you act based on that faith, what you do with that faith, how that faith drives you and aligns you toward a holy purpose. Right? Yeah, Gary. You just hit hit on the issue is purpose. Yeah. The issue is whether we deal in a totally random world that has no purpose and no meaning. Right. Which is the skeptic's view. Right. Or whether, you know, things have a meaning and a purpose and there is an alignment, you know, which is temporal. That is, that things transition from moment to moment in a specific way and that there is continuity and that things are directed towards... Right. And that's, I think, you know, the, the power of Obi-Wan's statement, in my experience, is no such thing as luck. Right? I think that th- through a faithless view of the world, um, everything is random. Right? Everything just kind of happens. Right? Through a faithful view of the world, it's not necessarily that uh, God is in direct control of everything that happens, uh, but there is a purpose behind everything that happens and a utility uh, through everything that happens, an orientation to how we engage with the things that happen. Right? Um, that's not luck. That is um, how we see the world and how we act in the world. Good. Okay. Um, so there's just a couple of things that... So what Obi-Wan is training Luke in, of course, is uh, how to uh, interact with and uh, engage with this thing called the Force, right? And for the purposes of Star Wars and for, the, for our purposes, um, I think it's, it's fair to, uh, to translate Force as God, right? The language of it in Star Wars is one thing that's got, you know, the, it would have been weird if they had used the word God, right? But in our context, I think that the, the way the Force is described in Star Wars and the way it operates in Star Wars is very much in alignment with the way, uh, the way Judaism views God. So I think if we, if we think about it uh, with regard uh, to God and how we act in alignment with God, how we don't, also... Uh, because, as you'll see, there's a light side and, the dark, and a dark side of the Force... I didn't bring this text in, but you can remember from the opening passages of Genesis, right? The uh, the which are not meant to tell us history, but are meant to tell us uh, meaning, right? That uh, that our our tradition uh, sees a, uh, a a fundamental conflict in in the world between forces of light and forces of darkness. Right? And, and God's role is to bring forth the light. Right? That's the first creative act that God makes is Vayomer Elohim Yihi Or Vayhi Or. That God says, let there be light, and there was light into a dark and chaotic cosmos. Right? That doesn't mean that God 
that God totally conquered the darkness, right? There's still um, uh, there, there's still a, a, a tehom and tovavohu. There's still a deep and uh, and and chaos in the created world. Um, but the uh, the trajectory in Genesis is for advancing light, advancing light in in the face of darkness. And the language, I mean, there's specifically. It's, I was just reading this yesterday in in the book of Shmuel. It says, "May the Lord be with you." There's, I mean, there is yeah. a statement right. where, where right. you know, "May the Lord be with you." Yeah. And so, I mean, it's the language is there, the phraseology is there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the uh, what's important with regard to the Force in Star Wars is um, is one's ability to utilize the Force. Um, and to act in accordance with it, right? To, uh, to, to channel it and control it. But Star Wars presents the, the reality that there are two sides of the force. There's a dark side and a, and a light side. Judaism also, uh, has that, as, as we, uh, as we talked about. And I think that the best metaphor system in Judaism for that is, um, the Yetzer Hara and the Yetzer Hatov. We have an inclination for good and an inclination for evil. Um, Genesis, Genesis Rabbah puts it like this. The wicked are under control of their hearts. The righteous have their hearts under their control. And if you look at Star Wars in the language of, uh, of, of what characterizes the dark side and the light side of the Force, the dark side um, uh, is, uh, is uh, uh, totally governed by, by emotionality, right? Uh, that, uh, that, that you should uh, um, let your anger you know, come through you, and, uh, and, you know, it's a, a Jedi on the light side of the Force is not allowed to, uh, love and be in romantic relationships, go after his friends to save them. You're not supposed to have those emotional entanglements driving you, right? Where, which characterizes the dark side of the Force. So, side note, I think that in the new Star Wars movie, Luke Skywalker is gonna be on the dark side of the Force, but, um, <laughs> because he's, because he's very in, in the, in the course of, you don't believe that, okay, but uh, we can talk more about that, but, but in the course of the original saga, right, Luke is constantly driven after his emotional attachment to his friends, which his Jedi teachers keep on telling him that's the path to the dark side. Right, and you see it in the original, in the prequel trilogy too, which we're, we don't really, we're not going to really spend a lot of time on. Uh, but uh, but the whole point of uh, of Anakin Skywalker's turn to become Darth Vader is that he's uh, uh, he he allows his emotions to uh, to take control of him. Right, so the characteristic of the dark side of the Force and the characteristic of the light side of the Force is uh, is I think really hit upon by this text from Genesis Rabbah. Right, that the 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 characteristic of Wickedness, the characteristic of evil in a person, is that you're not in control of your own emotions, right? Um, I saw. Did you see that? This is not Star Wars, but did you see this movie Inside Out? Yes. So it's a really interesting, uh, and 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 maybe uh, has a has a lot of uh, um, connection to, uh, to to scientific fact, depending on your point of view. But in in uh, Inside Out, the point of view is very clearly that our emotions are in. in in control of us, right? They pull the triggers, they pull the triggers, they cause our actions, right? The Jewish view is that there is a self that uh, that actually can, it doesn't necessarily happen always, because sometimes our emotions do control us, right? But, the, but there is a self that has supremacy over our emotions, right? We can dictate, uh, uh, guide, subdue certain emotions, uh, or utilize them, channel them in different ways, 
right? And so that's this uh, text from Genesis Rabbah. Okay, let's, let's, uh, oh, the, I, the text number four, I'm not showing this clip, but spoiler alert, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, dies a little bit later in, uh, in, in episode four, um, and, uh, um, and then ultimately comes uh, back in, in Luke's consciousness to help continue his training and guide him and, and, uh, and, and, and teach him. Um, and he says, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, when he's fighting Darth Vader and, uh, um, and is about to put his guard down, he said, if you strike me down, I'll become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. Right? Judaism has a, has a teaching like that too. In the Talmud, Rabbi Chama uh, Barchanina said, the righteous are more powerful after their death than during their life. Um, and I think that there's a lot of truth to that, too. I mean, like, think about, uh, yeah. The inverse might be true as well. So, that it's, what do you mean? Well, the wicked have greater power in the context of, of the living, ah. which then yeah. disappears once they're gone. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's... The regional... Governors now have direct control over their territories. Fear will keep the local systems in line. Fear of this battle station. And what of the rebellion? If the rebels have obtained a complete technical readout of this station, it is possible, however unlikely, that they might find a weakness and exploit it. The plans you refer to will soon be back in our hands. Any attack made by the rebels against this station would be a useless gesture, no matter what technical data they've obtained. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. Don't be too proud of this technological terror you've constructed. The ability to destroy a planet is insignificant next to the power of the Force. Don't try to frighten us with your sorcerer's ways, Lord Vader. Your sad devotion to that ancient religion has not helped you conjure up the stolen data tapes or given you clairvoyance enough to find the rebels' hidden fort. your lack of faith disturbing. Enough of this. Vader, release him. As you wish. <laughs> okay. Uh, now, uh, Joel, at some point you'll have to explain to me how uh, Darth Vader ended up becoming middle management in the Empire, but uh, <laughs> uh, but again, you see that... <laughs> what? The Emperor. The Emperor. It's the ancientness uh, of his faith. Well, right. Well, right. So, okay. I mean, the same interplay between faith and between faith and cynicism uh, happens on the dark side of the force too, right? Uh, I mean, there's, there's there's faith even in the in the dark side, uh, but uh, but but you see the same dynamic, right? But Darth Vader makes a very good point, right? And it's a it's a related point to that first text from Zechariah, right? Lo um, Right? Don't be uh, so uh, taken by this technological monster you've constructed. Right? Uh, the ability to destroy the plant, a planet is insignificant next to the power of the Force. Right? Um, Judaism believes that that's true. Um, obviously, there's great power and importance in technology and uh, in, uh, in weaponry and in the ability for self-defense. The, the one of the characteristics of the dark side of the Force is um, uh, utilizing power aggressively, right? But, uh, I mean, you, I mean, there, you know, there's, there's weaponry and guns and blasters ready even on the light side of the force. Um, you know, lightsabers. Um, uh, but the, but that's not the point. 
the point is, uh, is that ultimately, uh, uh, ultimately alignment with godliness <coughs> signifies true power. Signifies ultimate victory, right? Um, it's you know I, I, I'm always taken by Martin Luther King's statement that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Right? The trajectory of human history is one in which God's purposes will ultimately win out. Right? So yeah, you could blow up a planet, but ultimately you won't win unless you're aligned with uh, with with uh, the with right action. Um, okay, I'm going to skip complaining. Motivations. At least the information R2 is still intact. What's so important? What's he carrying? The technical readouts of that battle station. I only hope that when the data is analyzed, a weakness can be found. It's not over yet. It is for me, sister. Look, I ain't in this for your revolution, man. I'm not in it for you, princess. I expect to be well paid. I'm in it for the money. You needn't worry about your reward. If money is all that you love, then that's what you'll receive. Your friend is quite a mercenary. I wonder if he really cares about anything. Or anybody. I care. Original movies now episode four, uh, and they're about to. Luke is about to participate in an assault on the Death Star, which is the uh, major weapon battle station of the Empire. Um, and you know Han Solo has helped him get to this point, but as you could see from the previous clip, was primarily you know in it for to get paid. Uh, and now he's gotten paid, and he's you know he's like feels like my my responsibility is done. So. He and Luke are having words. I gotta pay off with this stuff. Even if I didn't, you don't think I'd be fool enough to stick around here, do you? Why don't you come with us? Pretty good enough, right? Could use you. Come on. Why don't you take a look around? You know what's about to happen, what they're up against. They could use a good pilot like you. You're turning your back on them. What good's a reward if you ain't around to use it? Besides, attacking that battle station ain't my idea of courage. It's more like suicide. Take care of yourself, huh? I guess that's what you're best at, isn't it? Hey, Luke. May the force be with you. What are you looking at? I know what I'm doing. dynamic between um, responsibility to self and responsibility to community is a major part of, uh, of, of Judaism. Uh, and that scene in particular uh, reminded me of this text from Pirkei Avot, this text number four. Um, I'll read the whole thing, but I really uh, am most interested in the latter part of it. So Hillel used to say, a brutish man cannot fear sin, an ignorant man cannot be pious, nor can the shy man learn or the impatient man teach. 
He who engages excessively in business cannot become wise. In other words, he who is primarily devoted to, uh, to, uh, to, to engaging in worldly matters and making money has no uh, room, no capacity, no bandwidth, no vision for cultivating wisdom. Um, for being able to see the bigger picture of things because you're focused on this sort of like narrow thing, um, which, uh, which is primarily self-serving, right? And then in a place where there are no men, strive to be a man, okay? So what you, what we don't have a clip of is a few scenes later, right, after Han, uh, decides he's just gonna, you know, go off with his, uh, with his reward and go live his life, um, who, I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen the movie, but I guess if you're all here, you probably have. <laughs> um, but uh, but ultimately, as they're engaged in this assault on the Death Star, uh, Luke is uh, has the um, uh, the target in sight, but Darth Vader is in a, a ship right on his tail, uh, and out of nowhere comes Han Solo and his ship, the Millennium Falcon, uh, and uh, and and shoots uh, Darth Vader and uh, doesn't kill him, but enables him to kind of get out of the picture so Luke can uh, fire his shots into, into the Death Star. Uh, and so what, what, what I see in that scene, you know, that, that's a moment of, of Han Solo's sort of character's redemption in, in his arc, right, um, is, this, uh, is this teaching, right, uh, uh, in a place where there are no men or where there are no people, where there are no human beings, strive to be a person. Right? Where nobody else is stepping up and taking responsibility for, uh, for, for, for acting right and doing good, right? That means that you have the responsibility to do it, right? Um, just because nobody else is acting in the right way and everybody's looking out for their own interests doesn't mean that you don't have the responsibility. Um, so I think that those two statements of, uh, he who engages excessively in business cannot become wise and in a place where there are no men strive to be a man, those are related statements. Because the first part of it is about the narrowness of your focus. Right. I need to I need to make a living. I need to uh, uh, make sure I live comfortably. I need to make sure my family is supported. All that's very important. Judaism would say another place in Pirkei Avot says Ein Kemach Ein Torah. Right. If you don't have flour, if you don't have bread, then you can't uh, then you can't learn. Right. Then you can't have Torah. Um, although it also says in, in the same breath Ein Torah Ein Kemach. Right. So if you don't have if you if you don't have the capacity to see beyond your immediate needs, cultivate a life of wisdom and broader sense of responsibility, um, then, then it won't really matter what you eat, right? So I think that those two uh, pieces are related. And then I think this is maybe, to me, one of the most important passages in all of the Torah. Maybe, maybe the point of the entire Torah is in this passage. I would say that about a lot of passages. But um, <laughs> So Deuteronomy 22.3, If you see your fellow's ox or sheep gone astray, do not ignore it. You must take it back to your fellow. If your fellow does not, right, so in other words, if someone loses something and you find it, you have to return it. If your fellow does not live near you or you do not know who he is, you shall bring it home and it shall remain with you until your fellow claims it. Then you shall give it back to him. Right? So if, uh, um, I think self-explanatory. You shall do the same with his donkey. You shall do the same with his garment. You shall do uh, the same with anything that your fellow loses and you find. And then it says, Lo tuchal hitalem. You must not remain indifferent. Uh, literally, you must not avert your eyes. You must not look away. Right? So you see something uh, that somebody lost on the street, you are not allowed, according to the Torah, to just kind of keep on going on your merry way. You have to do something about it. Right? And I think that there's broad implications to that mitzvah, to that teaching. 
that if you see an injustice in the world, you see something uh, bad happening, you see your fellow in danger, uh, whether it's nearby or far away, whether you know them or you don't know them, you must not look away. You must not remain indifferent, right? I think Han Solo eventually learns that lesson in, in, in Star Wars. You must not remain indifferent, right? You must not just kind of be focused on yourself. Um, and, uh, and, and ultimately, that's his character's redemption. But I think that that is a uh, lesson for us all. Okay. Now we get into what I think is like the real meat of, uh, of Judaism and Star Wars, which is uh, when in uh, episode five, The Empire Strikes Back, uh, Luke meets the Jedi Master Yoda, which, as we mentioned, uh, I think is uh, not a coincidence that his name is related to the Hebrew uh, Yodea for knowledge. Yoda is uh, this wise old Jedi Master. Wondering, why are you here? I'm looking for someone. Looking? That someone? I know that I just like stopped it like two seconds in. Uh, one of the great stories of Elijah the prophet in the book of Kings. So Elijah, who we, you know, who drinks at our house on Passover, you guys know the guy. Uh, he, uh, um, uh, he's, he's, believed in Judaism to be the, the announcer of the Messianic era. The reason for that is in the book of Kings, he's, uh, he's carried off into heaven before uh, he dies in a, in a fiery chariot. And he has that special significance uh, because in his time, everybody had turned to idolatry. The leaders of the time had kind of converted all the Jews to uh, Baal worship. Uh, and he was the last remaining person, so he says, loyal to uh, loyal to God, right? Kanoki neti ladonai tzavot, he says. I am very passionate and zealous for, for God. Um, so the king and queen are out to kill him because he's like trying, he's a, he's a rabble rouser. He's trying to get everybody to come back to worshiping uh, God. And he runs away to the desert and finds Mount Sinai. And he, uh, he uh, comes to Mount Sinai, and, uh, and all of a sudden there is a big earthquake, and then there's thunder and lightning, and all this stuff happens. Um, and, uh, and over and over it says, you know, there was an earthquake, but the voice of God was not in the earthquake. And there was a fire, and God was not in the fire. And then there was a koldma madaka, a soft, still voice, um, that says, why are you here, Elijah? Right? And so this scene, I think, is very much, right? Luke is kind of uh, going out to the wilderness to seek wisdom. And the first thing uh, he's asked by the person who he doesn't know is, uh, is really um, uh, the person who he's seeking is, uh, is uh, why are you here? Right? And again, right, Elijah expects, would have expected the voice of God to be in those like thunder and lightning and earthquake and all those like big displays of godliness, right? But God's voice was not where he expected. God's voice was in the soft, still voice, the soft murmuring sound, right? And Luke is going to find the same thing, that the voice of the power of the force is in this, like, small green alien who encounters him the same way God encounters Elijah by saying, I'm wondering, why are you here? What just happened? And I would say, <laughs> Right. Help you again? Yes. I don't think so. I'm looking for a great warrior. <laughs> great warrior? <laughs> Wars not make one great. <laughs> oh, 
that down. Now we Hey! It's my dinner. How you get so big to do food of this kind? Listen, friend, we didn't mean to land in that puddle, and if we could get our ship out, we would, but we can't. So why don't you just get your ship out? Hey, get out of there. Hey, you could have broken this. Don't do that. Slimy mud hole. Mud hole? Slimy? My home, this is! Aren't you let him have it? Move along, little fellow. We got a lot of work to do. Say help you, I will. Are you friend? I'm not looking for a friend. I'm looking for a Jedi Master. Jedi Master? Yoda. You seek Yoda. You know him? Mm. Take it to him, I will. <laughs> yes, yes. But now, must eat. Come. Good food. Come. <laughs> I just don't understand why we can't see Yoda now. Patience! For the Jedi, it is time to eat as well. <laughs> eat! <laughs> eat! Ah! Good food! Good! How far away is Yoda? Will it take us long to get there? Not far. Yoda, not far. Patience! <laughs> Soon you will be with him. Why wish you become Jedi? Mostly because of my father, I guess. Ah, father? How for Jedi was he? How for Jedi? Oh, come on. How could you know my father? You don't even know who I am. No, I don't even know what I'm doing here. We're wasting our time. has no patience. You will learn patience. Mm. <sighs> Much anger in him. Like his father. Was I any different when you taught me? <sighs> He's not ready. Yoda. I am ready. I... Ben, I, I can be a Jedi. Ben, tell him I'm re ready. Ready, are you? What knows you ready? For 800 years have I trained Jedi. My own counter will I keep on who is to be trained. A Jedi must have the deepest commitment. The most serious mind. This one, a long time have I watched. All 
throughout his life as he looked away to the future, to the horizon, never his mind on where he was, hmm? what he was doing. Hmm. Adventure. Hey. Excitement. Hey. Did I crave not these things? You are reckless. So was I, if you remember. He is too old. Training. But I've learned so much. Will he finish what he begins? I won't fail you. I'm not afraid. to point out in that scene. Um, so the first, uh, in, um, I think that there are a few aspects of this text that, uh, that, that I could point out. Really, I want to point out the last part of it, but since it's a, a whole text, I, I think it's worth uh, sharing the whole thing. So Alicia Benabuya used to say, he who learns as a child, what is he like? He's like ink written on new paper. He who learns as an old man, what is he like? He is like ink written on blotted paper. Right? So uh, there's a, an aspect of that in this conversation between Luke and Yoda, uh, where you know, Yoda says he's too old to begin the training. Right? There's, a, um, there's a, a, a reason that we start you know, uh, educating our children when they are, you know, uh, well, we have a pre-K here, right? Um, uh, because uh, we want to... Uh, cultivate a sense of knowledge in them, a particular uh, skill set and, and mindset, uh, the older you get, the harder it is to acquire the knowledge, uh, the harder it is to retain the knowledge, and the harder it is for the knowledge to be like transformative to your person, right? And I think the same is true uh, in, uh, in what Yoda is saying to, to Luke. Um, Rabbi Yossi Bar Judah of Kfar Bavli said, he who learns from the young, what is he like? He is like one who eats unripe grapes and drinks wine fresh from his wine press. But he who learns from the aged, what is he like? He is like one who eats ripe grapes and drinks old wine. Right? Yoda is uh, over 800 years old. <laughs> Rabbi Mayer used to say, this is, this is really, I think, the, 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 uh, one of the major uh, points of that scene. Do not look at the flask, but at what is in it. There may be a new flask that is full of old wine, and an old flask that does not even have new wine in it. Right? So there's a, a sense in Judaism that it's not what's on the outside that matters, but what's on the inside. Uh, there's this great scene, one of my favorite scenes, I think, in all of the Bible. I, I won't say it's the most important one in the Torah, because it's not in the Torah. It's in the uh, book of Samuel. Uh, God has uh, told the prophet Samuel uh, to uh, uh, depose King Saul, who has uh, turned out to be a failure, and find a new king. So God tells Samuel to go to the house of a Bethlehemite named Jesse, uh, and one of his sons is going to be king. And uh, and Jesse has all these you know strapping young sons, and they each kind of parade in front of him, each more burly than the last. Uh, and God says, I don't want any of those people. And so Samuel says to Jesse, do you have any more sons? And Jesse says, um, I just have this one, you know, my youngest son, he's this little runt shepherd named David, uh, and he's out there tending the sheep. And Samuel says, um, uh, well, let me take a look at him anyway, so I just, you know, I don't have to, so that, that I feel like I've covered all my bases. And when Samuel 
finds David uh, and sees this little, you know, like redheaded runt tending sheep, says this can't possibly be king. God says to him, um, uh, anoint him, this is the one I've chosen. And Samuel questions God, and God says, um, God does not see like people see. People see uh, only, with the, uh, only with what their eyes can see, but God sees the heart. Right? Uh, and, I, and, and that's, I think, the, the, one of the thrusts of that scene is, um, you know, Luke has assumptions of what a Jedi master ought to be, um, you know, this big, powerful, great warrior, but it's not uh, an exterior thing, it's an interior thing. Um, and I think both uh, the Jedi Order and Judaism uh, is uh, designed to, to cultivate a, an interior strength. Um, and uh, prioritizes interior strength over uh, over brute force. Um, okay, let's go on. This is uh, Luke has begun his Jedi training with Yoda. Should not 
my ally is the Force. And the powerful ally it is. Life creates it. Makes it grow. Its energy surrounds us. Combines us. Luminous beings, so we not this crude matter. You must feel the force around you. You. Between you. Me. The tree. The rock. Everywhere. Yes. Even between the land and the ship. You are the impossible. It's probably, I think, for my money, one of the uh, most, one of the richest scenes in, in the whole saga. Um, so there's a few things that I want to point out. Um, the first is this sense that Luke has during his training of what's possible and what's impossible, um, and his um, uh, lack of ability to uh, to. A, trust Yoda about the possibilities of what he's uh, able to do or learn, uh, but also um, uh, uh, his, uh, his uh, lack of imagination about what is just possible in, in general. Um, so and I love this text uh, from uh, text number nine in your sheet. Uh, from, again, from Pirkei Avot, um, uh, Hillel said, uh, Do not say anything is impossible to be understood, for eventually it will be understood. 
Um, there's a, 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 you know, a really important point, not only in terms of Jewish learning, but learning in, in general, right? Um, you know, I said this about math all the time, right? Like, uh, growing up, right? This is impossible. And that was a shield against my, uh, against my uh, um, uh, ability to put in the, the work and effort to make it possible to be understood. Because, of course, it's possible to be understood. Uh, but when you say something is impossible to understand, it uh, absolves you of the responsibility to actually do the work to be able to learn it. So... That's why Pierre Cavot teaches, uh, don't say something is impossible to be understood, for eventually it will be understood. Uh, there's also, I think, this really important phrase that Yoda says, right? Uh, Yoda, uh, Luke says, okay, I'll try, right? And uh, uh, Yoda says, uh, do or do not, there is no try, right? And I think that that is uh, actually an important uh, teaching uh, from the Jewish perspective as well. So uh, in, in Exodus 15, you know, one of the most uh, powerful scenes in, in the Torah. The children of Israel had uh, escaped Egyptian slavery. They had come to the banks of the Sea of Reeds, uh, and uh, Egypt and Pharaoh's army is chasing behind them uh, to uh, to either try to kill them or, 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 or recapture them. And so uh, it says, The king of Egypt was told that the people had fled. Pharaoh and his courtiers had a change of heart about the people and said, what is, it this, th- what is this that we have done, releasing Israel from our service? He ordered his chariot and took his men with him. He took 600 of his picked chariots and the rest of the chariots from Egypt with officers and all of them. The Lord stiffened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he gave chase to the Israelites as the Israelites were departing defiantly, boldly. The Egyptians gave chase to them, and all the chariot horses of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his warriors, overtook them, encamped by the sea near Piachachirot, but before Baal As Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites caught sight of the Egyptians advancing upon them. Greatly frightened, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Was it for want of graves in Egypt that you brought us to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, taking us out of Egypt? In other words, like, you know, what's happening right now is that it's impossible to survive, right? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt, saying, let us be and we will serve the Egyptians, for it is better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness? But Moses said to the people, have no fear. Stand by and witness the deliverance which the Lord will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will battle for you. You hold your peace. Then the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward, and you lift up your rod and hold out your arm over the sea and split it, so that the Israelites may march onto the sea into the sea on dry ground. In other words, the only way out is through, and the only way to accomplish something is by doing something. Right? Um, I, I said this yesterday, and I can't take credit for coining the phrase, um, but uh, uh, I think my teacher Rabbi Sharon Brous coined the phrase, maybe she didn't even, um, that, uh, that prayer without action is idolatry. Right? And that's the, the sense of this text. And I think what you get from that scene with Yoda is that, you know, that, that there's no such thing as trying to do something. Trying to do something is an excuse for failing to do something. You actually have to go out and do it. Um, there's a, a, one of the most uh, uh, um, uh, meaningful statements the rabbis say that the uh, children of Israel made in, uh, in, in the moment where God offers them the Torah um, is uh, the next text, uh, text 11, um, where uh, Moses took the record of the covenant and read it aloud to the people, and they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will learn. Na'asev and ishma. Right? We will do it and we will learn it. Right? And the rabbis of the Midrash say that, that they were misspeaking there, that, that this was an intentional statement. Right? We, 
it was, it was saying that we're going to take a leap of action before we even know what it all entails. We're going to commit ourselves, the totality of ourselves, to doing it. Through doing it, and eventually, we'll learn what it's all about. But we're going to do it first. Um, and that's, I think, a truth in life. Uh, that uh, that we, we often want to uh, take the next step, or to get involved in an activity, or to uh, get involved in a cause. Once we kind of learn everything there is to know about it, we want to we want to um, uh, you know have all the knowledge, know how it's going to turn out before we engage in it. But the truth is, you can never have perfect knowledge of how something is going to turn out before you do it. Sometimes you just have to do it and course correct down the line if need be. Um, it's a uh, I could have given the, the text the calling statement of the Jewish people. God calls Abraham and says, Lech lecha el areka. Right? Go forth and I will show you the land. Right? God doesn't say where Abraham is going. God just says, you have to go. I'll show it to you eventually. Right? Most of us would say, no, show me where I'm going first. Right? And then I'll go. Right? But that's not, um, that's not what's built into the DNA of Jews, what we're supposed, our orientation ought to be uh, taking that leap of action, going in that direction. And then, um, uh, uh, okay, so since we're basically out of time, I'll, I'll, I'll end with this. Yoda gives this powerful uh, speech there about what's the nature of the Force. And this is why I think it has such Jewish resonance. So, uh, especially in the Kabbalistic tradition of Judaism. Um, so that's where uh, Moshe Cordovero comes in. And this is how he uh, uh, understands God. Um, and I think that this is not uh, a, a, an idea that's unique to Kabbalah, that's unique to Jewish mysticism. It's just that the mystics had um, a more uh, precise language for this, uh, for this sort of understanding of God um, than, than previous generations of non-mystical uh, thinkers did. Um, and carried and followed through its implications in a way that other people did. So, I mean, even the Bible says, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad, Hear Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, right? The Bible doesn't really carry out the implications of that totally, but Moshe Cordovero does. Uh, what does it mean to have one God? The essence of divinity is found in every single thing. Nothing but it exists, right? The Bible says, Ein od milvado, there's nothing else besides God. Since it causes everything to be, no thing can live by anything else. It enlivens them. Remember what Yoda says, right? Uh, um, uh, the force surrounds us and binds us. Luminous beings are we, not this crude matter, right? It enlivens everything that exists. Its existence exists in each existent. Right? God exists in everything that is. Do not attribute duality to God. Right? If that weren't true, if God weren't within me and enveloping me, and in a certain sense, if God weren't me uh, at all, then there would be a duality to God, right? There would be a separation between God and world. There would be a separation between God and me. There would be a separation between God and bush, or God and tree, God and rock, right? But we say that there's one God. So if there's one God, there can't be any duality, and that means that God is everything, and everything is God. So, do not attribute duality to God. Let God be solely God. If you suppose that Ein Sof, without limit, which is the Kabbalistic uh, term for uh, the, the uh, God of philosophy, the, God, the, the sort of God ideal, 
emanates until a certain point, and that from that point on is outside of it, you have dualized, right? If you say that God exists, but, like, God is outside of me, God is an other to me, then you have dualized, God forbid. Realize, rather, that Ein Sof exists in each existent. Do not say, this is a stone and not God, God forbid. Rather, all existence is God, and the stone is a thing pervaded by divinity. So here's the real... Uh, powerful thing about what uh, um, about what George Lucas did with Star Wars, and I think what Judaism intuited from ancient times, um, which we're now actually coming to the awareness is, uh, is, is true uh, uh, on the level of quantum physics, um, that, uh, that all is interconnected in precisely this way, um, that everything ultimately is one. And all of the diversity in which we see, which is important on a certain level, is on a fundamental level an illusion. Right? We experience diversity, but in reality there's unity. And if there in reality is unity, that means, first of all, a tremendous sense of responsibility we have to one another, an interconnection we have to one another, right? That when when a uh, when when a planet explodes, a million screams cry out, and it affects us personally, as what happens in Star Wars, or when when there's suffering somewhere else in the world, or when somebody uh, is is in pain, or when somebody's hungry, right? That that um, that with 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 the awareness that we're all one, that actually ought to impact us on a fundamental level, um, because it's a part of our being, right? It's it's we're like organs in the same body. Uh, it also means, by the way, I mean, this, you know, that, that all of the stuff with the force and telekinesis, like Yoda lifting the X-Wing, um, may not be totally, uh, uh, science fiction. Uh, it, it, uh, there, there, there are all sorts of really interesting experiments about, um, the capacity if we are all interconnected on a quantum level, um, that, uh, that the, the division between me and you um, is uh, is actually only uh, skin deep. It's only eye deep. I, I can move you, uh, as it were, uh, uh, without physically touching you, right? Um, there's a lot of interesting science behind that. I don't think that we're ever really going to get to a point where human beings are able to lift up spaceships uh, using just their minds. Um, but it does have interesting implications about, for, for say, the power of prayer. Right? Um, and I think that Judaism has always felt a sense that for if you're praying for someone, um, that uh, with, with proper kavanah, with proper intention, you actually might be able to impact a, a change in, in, in the makeup of that reality. Now, that doesn't mean that you can pray and you're going to cure somebody's uh, cancer, God forbid, uh, but it does mean that you can uh, um, make a meaningful impact on uh, the life or well-being of that person. You may not change their faith, but it has, it can have an impact, a meaningful impact. Um, so if I were to kind of, uh, sum up all of this, I mean, there's, there's more we could do. You can see, you know, we didn't even get to the, uh, third movie, uh, where there's a lot about the, um, interaction between light and dark side of the force. Um, uh, our ability to repent of things that we may have done right or done wrong in, in our lives. Uh, um, uh, the, uh, nature of belief, control of, uh, of, uh, of, of our destiny, all of those things. So that, that if maybe we'll have another class if you want and we can get into some of that stuff. But I think that, that ultimately to me, the power 
of, uh, of, of Star Wars as it relates to Judaism um, is this insight of the interconnection of all things. And I think that is probably one of the deepest insights that Judaism can offer in, uh, in, in advancing a view that, that there's one God in the universe is ultimately a view of the interconnection of all things. You can call it a force if you want. You can call it God if you want. You can call it quantum physics if you want. Um, you can call it as uh, the emerging uh, science of this is actually to call it a force. Uh, there's a great, uh, there's a great book, I think, called The Force. Um, I have to remember now what it's called. Anyway, uh, Lynn McTaggart is the person who wrote it. Um, uh, about, uh, what's it called? The field. Uh, the field. The field, right. Um, the field, right. So you call it the field if you want. That's the kind of uh, bleeding edge in science right now is, uh, is to uh, identify it that way. But, but ultimately, it's all pointing to this one reality uh, that there is one reality, that there's one interconnected uh, world and one interconnected reality. So uh, with that, uh, I will say... Thank you for being here. May the force be with you.